0: We're fortunate to be joined by another state champion on today's podcast. He is also the Arizona Cardinals Coach of the Year 2021 state champion from Casa Grande, Casa Grande High School in Arizona, Jake Barrow. Jake, it's great to have you here on the podcast.
1: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me
0: on, Coach. For your school, this was the first one as I read up on it, so that has to be special. And the thing for you, though, is that you've been around this game your whole life. Grandfather was a high school football coach. Your father was a high school football coach. And before we got going, you, you told me that you've been on a sideline your whole life.
1: Absolutely. You know, it, just like you said, you know, for the school first first state championship ever. I mean, we had the, um, you know, lower bowl filled at, at Sun Devil Stadium at Arizona State. I mean, you know, a town kind of 50,000 stores were shut down. People were at the game. I mean, that side of it was just an unbelievable just an unbelievable event for that community you know people caravanning down the i-10 to get to the game it was a special day for the community in general and and you know myself and then you can appreciate this as well being around the game since before i could walk you know i think i wrote in my first grade what you want to be when you grow up a football coach <laughs> um, you know this this is who i am it's been who i who i've been it's etched in my dna um, to see a community come together like that as someone that's been around the game my whole life and, and that's seen it, it, it was something special. And it, it was something I'll never forget. And, and you know, I, you don't see it very often anymore. It's just, you know, small town, we, we play it, you know, a high level because of our success and population, but it's still small town football. And, and it was, it was a hell of an experience for me and, and everybody involved and just being that kid, you know, going back to being that kid, hanging out on the sidelines, falling in love with this game to, being able to kind of see the plan come together. I mean, it's it's definitely something special.
0: Now, I know you told me that your dad is part of the coaching staff that he's at the very least a consultant for you. I'm sure he gets more involved than that, but how special was it to be able to have him as a part of this as well?
1: Oh man, it it was it was unbelievable. Um uh, I mean, it has been. He he's started coaching with me since I got at branda 7 years ago. um you know, and he's just retired and, and you know, loves the game, wants to be around the game, and, and, and I want him to be around the game because he knows so much, and, and he's always in my ear and, and, you know, giving me great advice. And I think, you know, when when we were – because it, it was a heck of a game back and forth, and it ended on an incomplete pass in the end zone. I walked over. I put my arm around our quarterback. We watched the last play together. I hugged him, and then the very next person I even turned to look to was, you know, my dad, and we just kind of shared in that moment together because, you know, we know what this, what all goes into this, the, 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 how you build it, and and what you put into it, and how much time it takes away from, you know, your family, and and, you know, coaches, you know, that's the one thing that's kind of the downside. You do take time away from your family to to be part of this game and to pour that into kids, and well, for me to be able to spend it with my family that was really special and, and to be able to have him there on the sideline in that moment was something I'll never forget.
0: You said that growing up and, and again having your grandfather father a coach, your father was a coach, that that really impacted you on your approach to things and that for you it really is a family approach. How do you make it a family approach with the players on your team?
1: Yeah growing up it, it became what my family was about. It became kind of how we addressed everything you know the the lessons were taught to me through the game of football at a young age that's kind of how I learned about life and so I take that same approach into my profession as a coach with with the players that I coach and you know I I, I can tell families when they come to us as a freshman you know your your son is going to be part of a family and it's going to really really feel like that um, because of my background and because of my approach and, and one of the most important things I think when it comes to coaching kids like they're your family members is they have to know you they have to know the real you as a coach you know not just the x's and o's not just what you want them to know they got to know everything about you that's your struggles that's your failures you have to roll up your sleeves and show them your scars and you know this is who i am this is the mistakes that i've made this is what's led me down the path to be where i am right now and you have to care about them you have to care about them enough to understand that they're just kids they're going to make mistakes you hold them to a standard you hold them accountable but you, you love them and, and I think that when you really show who you are to them and they know that you care about them because you get to know who they really are their their faults their negative things you know just as much as they are a football player you want to know what makes them tick as a, as a young man and that then you start to create the family type bond that every coach preaches and it, it's hard to do it, it's not easy it takes time and, and it's a lot of effort you know just as much time as we think it takes to install a new concept it takes four or five times as much time to build a true relationship with a kid where they really feel like you know you're, you're more to them than a football coach and they're more to you than a football player and so just being that kind of kid growing up in the game and learning those lessons through the game at a young age it, it's a little easier to me I think I, I, it just kind of comes natural but it's still the most important thing to me. I I think when you use this game in that way and you show who you are to these kids and you accept them for who they are, you get a lot more buy-in, a lot more.
0: What kinds of things do you do in the off-season maybe, maybe even in-season that help to create that bond that help to create that family approach?
1: You know, I think a lot of times we'll spend we'll have team meetings and this this is a lot of focus on the off-season, but we'll spend team meetings where I just kind of tell them about a time in my life where maybe I struggled, a time in my life where I made a mistake, something that I thought was, you know, really, really going to set me back. Um, And and I just sit and I just talk to them. I talk to them like, like, you know, they're sitting across from me and and it's my own son and I want him to know something. And then uh, once I kind of show them, you know, maybe a time that I lost a job as, as a young man because I made a mistake or I failed a class or I, you know, dropped out of college and had to re-enroll. I mean, this is all stuff that happened to me. And you share these with kids. And and then you go around and, and you start to notice that the more you do that, the more you have these meetings that really have nothing to do with football. These are just meetings that are us talking. You, you start to see kids stand up and the kids share that with them, you know, and, and, and you, you see a little more who they are. This is a problem I'm having at home. And then this is a problem that I'm having in class and stuff. We wouldn't even know uh, if we didn't spend the time to sit down and do that. So we meet like that once a week in the off season. Um, and, and it's got, the kids know it's got nothing to do with football. Leave your notebooks and, and your iPads away. We're just going to talk and, and I'm going to start it. Cause you know, you know, kids aren't going to do that unless you do. And I'm going to be vulnerable in front of them and let them know who I am. And then, you know, eventually they stand up and, and they share. And we had a saying a year ago in the off season, who are you? You know, and and I would start I would start every meeting by telling them who I am and sharing them something new about me. And after about two or three weeks of that, I started turning it to them, all right, who are you? And I don't want to know who you are as a football player. I don't want to know your 40 time. I don't want to know anything in the weight room. I want to know which position you play. I want to know who you are um, as a young man and, and tell me something I don't know. Tell me something your teammates don't know. And I think we started that saying, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And we, we used that through the whole off season, And we really dug into who the kids are as individuals and, you know, not football, who they are as individuals, as young men. And then we got into fall camp. And when we rolled into fall camp, we flipped it. We said, all right, now we're going to stop asking, who are you? We're going to say, who are we? And so when I look at a kid and I call on him and I say, who are we? Now he's saying, who are we as a whole? Who are we as a team? Well, this is what we stand for. This is the standard we hold ourselves to. And everybody has something different. And you kind of come together. And and that's when I really saw it click for the first time, this team coming together as a family. You know, we, we broke them down as individuals as to who they are. And then we got in a room and we're in fall camp now, gearing up for the season. All right, who are we? What makes us special? What makes us unique? You know, we know each other's stories. We know each other's scars. We know who each other really is what makes us special what makes us different than any other team in the country and um you sit in a room and you hear everybody's opinions players opinions coaches opinions my own you move forward from that and man the x's and o's are are the least of your problem because you got a team that's going to buy in they're going to give everything they got and and i truly believe that's kind of what propelled us to win in a state championship because we're a school that's never had a, a lot of success i mean when i got there seven years ago we hadn't had a winning season in 27 years you know, we 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 went back-to-back. Back. Final fours the last two years, that hadn't happened ever. And then to finally win a state championship this year, I mean, there's a lot of good football coaches that have coached here. Everybody knows the X and the but I think really getting under the skin of our players and really coming up with a team identity that everyone bought into, that made the difference.
0: Is the approach of, as you described it, really recognizing the individual first something you've always done, or is that something that – has been a little bit different for you as you know you've gotten in, into this period where you've had a lot of success.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've certainly evolved into doing that. Early on in my coaching career as an assistant, you know, I mean, I, I learned it this way, and I truly believed in it that football is not a game of individuals, and it's not. And it's not, make no mistake about it. It's, it's a team game, you know, but I worked for guys and coached and was coached by guys that, you know, if you want to be recognized as an individual, if you want to have your own talents or, or issues recognized, then, you know, this ain't the game for you. And, and that's okay. There, there is some truth to that. But I think with this generation of kids, I, I don't think it anymore. I truly believe it. And, and this is probably something that I evolved into about three years ago. As a head coach, with this generation of kids, not only do they want to know the why behind everything, but they want to know the why me. And it's not always a bad thing. I think as coaches, we have to embrace it a little bit. And so before you can get them to really buy into the team first, before you can get them get into getting them to be what you want them to be, get this team to be your vision, uh, to become your vision, I should say, you have to get to know every one of these kids individually. And you have to recognize that individual aspect. And I think from then, you transition into, all right, who are we as a team, and then you shift it to, all right, here's the team buy-in, right? This team isn't going anywhere unless it's all of us, and it's not the team, and we're not holding each other to the team standard. Uh, And so I think you certainly have to recognize the individual first with today's generation of kids. I think that's the only way. And then you can shift it into, all right, this is what We are now, you know, we know who each other is. We, we, we understand it. I understand it. We love each other. We buy in. Now we're shifting to one common goal as a team. It's a team game. Here we go. Let's go. So I I really did evolve into that. Um, It wasn't something I always believed in, but now that I've kind of seen it, I don't think I'll ever go back to, to any other way of developing players.
0: When you look at the difficulties of these last two years, in all kinds of ways and, and i truly believe this probably is uh, some of the the most difficult times to win a championship in because of all the variables we deal with now how important was the approach you took to bring these guys together do you feel it really carried you where maybe in the past the approach might have stumbled uh, under these kinds of conditions
1: yeah absolutely i mean i think you know the, the biggest obstacle for not just myself every coach in the country was you know, how how the world dealt with COVID over the last couple of years. And, you know, we were no different. Um, You know, in Arizona, school shut down kind of like everywhere and football shut down, you know. We lost out on spring football. We lost out on a lot of summer stuff. And so there was probably a good eight weeks, if not more than that, uh, going into the 2020 season where I didn't see my players face-to-face. We did the whole Zoom call deal. We checked in, position coaches checked in with them on the phone. You know, our strength coach was the saddest guy in the world because, you know, there was nothing he could do. And, uh, you know, and that was kind of our reality for eight to uh, probably more than two months. I mean, it was a while. And that was really kind of what shifted me to this approach, this COVID year. You know, of all the bad things that came out of this year, the one thing I learned is, you know, the, these kids at the end of the day – They all kind of have their issues, and and I got to know them all one-on-one because it was the only way of doing it on the phone. And I realized, man, there's so much about the individual player I never understood before. And now that I'm on the phone with them every day, I'm on Zoom calls with them every day, I'm starting to get to know the individual, the individual player. I'm starting to see how they can benefit the team in other ways and how the team can benefit them. And so as, as challenging as it was, it certainly evolved or it pushed me to evolve more as a coach in that way to approach player development differently and and so something that i'll always do is you know i'll do it in person now but i'm always going to sit down and have those one-on-one meetings uh, when it comes to player development in the off season and and, you know what do you want what do you get what do you need to get better at and what do we need to do to get you there tell me about your personal life tell me about the obstacles in your way tell me about everything you know And, and then from there we can shift so you know as tough as these two years were and and Gosh, I mean it's one of the toughest years to build a football program ever because you just you felt like you didn't have the time, you didn't have the resources. Everybody was running up against the clock. But the one good thing was it did help me evolve into learning this this type of player development, no doubt about it.
0: Cos let's flip gears here a little bit and get to some of the things that are happening out on the field. You guys have been able to really make a name for yourselves on the field with the use of the wide zone, something that really is the base of your offense, you you build everything off of it, screen game, play action, et cetera. Uh, I know you shared with me that a lot of this comes from Alex Gibbs. When you look at this system, you know, I think everybody will adopt something, but uh, uniquely, I think, make it their own. So, you know, you take that basis of the Alex Gibbs outside zone, wide zone type of offense, uh, what kinds of things have really made it the Casa Grande Cougars offense.
1: You know, we were fortunate to have Alex Gibbs as a resident of Scottsdale, Arizona for a long time. So, you know, taking advantage of that was probably one of the best things we did. But I think what, what drew me to it as a coach uh, more than anything was not only how versatile it is as a scheme, but the type of alignment that we had that we were going to get that we got through our program. You know, we were always a little bit undersized, but we were always pretty athletic. We could move. And, and we thought, well, you know, let, let's go, you know, I'd love, I'd love running power counter and buck sweep as much as the next guy, but let's go with something that we can mold into our offense that can be us, that we can block any front, that they can stun, they can bring pressure, they can do, play whatever game they want um, and, and try to use us as, you know, use our size against us, so to speak, but we're going to get angles, we're going to get off and moving, and we're going to use our rules and, and combos to, to their to our advantage. And so I think just personnel is what drew me to it and then seeing it in practice in the game I mean that was that was kind of that what really sold me on it I said this is going to be what we hang our hat on and then when we saw it in practice more in the game uh, we actually got to see it we saw how effective it was Uh, effective for our personnel specifically Effective against the, the fronts we see, and, and just you know, it's, it's consistent. That, that's my favorite thing about the scheme. It's consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna you're never gonna go broke making a profit, and so we can consistently move the football running wide zone. So, you know, the next year after we first installed it, it kind of became who we are. And, and now, you know, you play us, you know, you're gonna get a heavy dose 25, 30 times a game wide zone. It's gonna be out of different looks. We dress it up you know 11 12 personnel shift to it motion away from it you know tag RPOs backside single receiver boundary stuff but the base scheme in the box you're going to get a wide-zone look uh, that's that's become us it's become what we're known for and I I you know I'm such a believer in it because of the consistency of the play and the effectiveness of it and, and it, it, it protects everything else you protect it with your your uh, pocket movements, your boots, your play actions, and you protect it with your, your screen game. And, and it, you know, when, when you have that, you know, that trifecta, uh, I believe it's the most effective run scheme in football.
0: Well, I think a lot of people would agree with you out there, and you see it all over the league now. The most successful teams are those wide zone-based teams. You'll see a ton of play action with it. But I think there's something you said there definitely – uh, the the type of personnel and you know we had very similar uh, a very similar experience when we put it in those athletic linemen guys who can move not necessarily road graders who are going to knock people off of the ball but because they can move because they're athletic you really start to get a distortion on the defense and if everything's set up off off of the wide zone you're going to start to see that flow that distortion right away even when you're coming back the other way with with the quarterback on a naked or something like that really starts to separate the defense and create those running lanes for you and i can remember back to you know our our, our first or second year of running and had a lineman come off the of field all distraught because coach they're they're calling it out every play they're calling you know they're, they're calling watch the watch watch the stretch play or uh watch yep. the zone play i was like well, it's a good thing they didn't say naked, or they'd have our whole offense. I'm like, <laughs> exactly. you know, it, it's not about trying to trick them; it's about execution, and it's about repping it over and over so that uh, they're prepared. Because, because I agree, it, it handles a lot of things. I remember the first game we utilized the offense uh, we're preparing for an even front the whole time. They come out in an odd front, and we didn't skip a beat, right? Because we we had all the answers built in.
1: 100%. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, that, that happened to us through the playoffs that quite a few times. We saw a different front than what we had broken down on film. I, I mean, in the semifinal game, we broke down nine games of film on this team, and we saw a different front than any of that. I mean, these guys came out with, um, you know, they, they were an odd front team throughout. They, they went even on us. It wasn't something huge, but it did not phase us one bit. You know, center makes his call, you know, and we're going. And, and it didn't change a thing. Um, but yeah, and I can't agree with you more either on, you know, the 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 play and why it's so effective. You know, you you, you distort, you get that distortion from the defense. You get a linebacker to you know play one gap over, and you got him. Uh, you you've got to play. And and you know, I think you know the, you teach the line their rules, you teach them their footwork, everything's good, their combos, their calls, and then you teach the running back vision. And when that really clicks and, and you have a running back that's a true zone back, a wide zone back specifically, that, that has that vision and can, I should say, can kind of lead those linebackers to playing one gap over, making a false read because of his footwork or his eyes, and then cut that up, it really just changes the, the scheme and changes the game. And, and you protect your backside, like you said, with your play actions and, and stuff. And, and we had a quarterback that was great at that because um, we're a big wide zone to the boundary team. Uh, And our quarterback's really good at tagging stuff to the field and protecting that that backside uh, outside backer, uh, you know, widening him out a little bit and and making him a nine issue. So now we're just, we're just trying to get the mic to play one, one gap over one thing wrong and we're going to cut this thing up and we're going to go and it's going to be four, five, six at a time. And then, we will break one on you because you start to get frustrated and you start to take one step too far. Uh, then that naked, that's the one. Yeah. Then you break that naked. It's kind of always the way it goes. You're hitting four or five, six yards of crack and then naked to the field. You're gone. So yeah, it's it, it's a scheme I believe in. I love it. And, and I, I couldn't have said it better. That's, that's what makes it go.
0: The other thing that I think is important to using a scheme like that is what you mentioned with training the vision of the back. And, and I, I've shared this before on this podcast. The answer I got when I was sitting down and clinicking with somebody on this was Coach, what do you do? You know, if he's not seeing it, it's like put another back in. I'm like, well, this is our dude and he's really good. I don't know if I'm putting that next guy in right away. So that led to us really studying the play and looking at what are the scenarios that are going to happen to this back on his track as he's running this wide zone track that we could start to train in drills. And, you know, you, you hear it all the time. You should build your drills off of the things that are going to happen in the game, not just creating these fancy drills that, I mean, they might look good on YouTube and whatever, but where do they happen on the field? So for us, it was studying the film and saying, okay, you know, he's going to get a look where, gonna see the the edge he's gonna have his guys who have reached everybody and he's just gonna go and get to the outside and hit the numbers and and he'll he'll cut it up he's gonna get the situation where he starts to see color showing on the outside half of that blocker who's on his track right and we'd always start him for us the aim point was uh one one yard deep three yards wide outside uh the tight end yeah. of the ghost tight end you know a really wide track for us and if he started to see that color showing, he was just going to press right up to it and then he cut off of it. Right. A lot of times exactly. if you're, you're patient with it and you're staying on the track, the, the blocks will really start to declare themselves and make it even easier. I think the, the backs who struggle the most are, are not, it's not necessarily because of any kind of physical ability. It's because they're impatient, right? That you just really have to stay on that track. And then the best ones really after they, after they start to see that, you know that those first two scenarios there that I'm mentioning that they can really start to play with those level two defenders to get them to move, right with their eyes or with a little head and shoulder fake to then be able to cut up inside and, and get back out. And and then I mentioned the two scenarios. There, the third one was just unblock color in your path, which if we, mm-hmm. we told him we saw that, you get as close to it as you can and then cut on his weak side weak side shoulder. That guy has momentum. Keep his momentum going. Don't freeze him right there and, and really. Give him a situation where he's square now and momentum has stopped and he can go either direction on you. Keep his momentum going and try to rip through that, get vertical, and then get back outside of your blockers. And that that repetition of those three things for our tailback over and over and over again really trained not only that guy but every running back within our system that they could run that play and be effective for us. Was was the second guy as good as the first or the third as good as those guys? No, not not always. But we knew that whoever we put in there, we were going to have an effective play. Yeah, I mean, we teach it the exact
1: same way. I mean, you nailed it. That's, that's, that's the key. And, and I think why the play has been so consistent for us is exactly what you said. You can fill in different running backs, and they can all be effective as long as they have that vision down and they're patient. I think the biggest, when you're training a zone back, it's different than anything else. You, you have to train the patience through the mesh point. You have to train the patience through the read. And and we teach the same thing. We're attacking that, you know, inside leg of the tight end or, or the ghost tight end. And we're, we're reading that combo to play side backer. And he's going to either, you know, he's going to be patient and press that first kind of that play side tight end combo as easy, as quick as he can. He's going to get there, get there, get there. And then he's going to make his decision. And we want him in second gear in the backfield until he makes that decision when he's going to cut up he's going to cut wide and then cut up whatever or cut back if it's an unblocked color like you said once he makes that decision then he cranks that in the fourth gear and goes but the patience is so key that really is what makes this play go and and i mean we just uh that's kind of how we train our backs now you know And, and we can run two or three backs if we need to because they understand their reads, they understand what they're looking at you know it's it's not necessarily you know, the speed guy that we need to, you know, we can only run this play with. No, it can be effective with different types of personnel, no doubt about it.
0: The other thing I really liked about the play, and really this became a huge part of my philosophy of running an offense, was that you need a starting point play in your offense. I'm not talking like people talk a base play or a base set of plays. I mean, this one play is going to start the look for us. It's how we formation it, uh, what the play looks like on initial footwork. I mean, if you looked at, and I used to share it in clinics, uh, if you looked at the, the handful of plays we run, and initially it was, we ran the wide zone, we ran the, the tight zone, um, we ran a mid zone version of it, and initially we kept trap, encounter from our old offense kind of security blanket things for us right (laughs) um but eventually we discarded the trap in in the uh the counter and we just we would even run some counters off of the wide zone where we just instead of everybody stretching we leave that backside tackle to pass set, and it would create this huge it it looked like a sprint draw but truthfully it was just stretching he ran back to the void there um but with that play and what i'm getting to is is everything was set up to look the same and that if you looked at the first three steps of any single play in our offense, you know, run game and, and play action, it all looked like stretch. And that becomes very hard to diagnose, right? The, if you get to those really good teams who can read keys uh, and maybe you're running, you know, the wing T I think was ran yeah. that for a while. And, and we'd struggle against those teams who, new, and we're good at just reading our guards. The guards will take you to the play, right? And that's not the situation that um, you get with an offense like this when you can make everything look the same. So to me, that's key. And it, I think it's easy to do with wide zone, but uh, what I'm saying is in any offense, what play starts things for you?
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, when we look at our – or when I, as a play caller, you know, look at our script. I mean, it's basically our, our, our go, coming out script – is peppered with wide zone at a bunch of different looks. You know, wide zone, shift here, wide zone. We're going to, you know, we're going to run wide zone. We're going to manipulate our backside splits, see how that affects it. We're going to manipulate our tight end split and run wide zone. We're going to motion away and run wide zone. We're going to, you know, start an empty, motion and back, run wide zone. I mean, it's it's kind of your starting play to diagnose a defense. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it really is. And, and so you, that first quarter, first,
0: yeah,
1: first two drives are over and you're able to look and, and, you know, we're, we're, you know, check out that in high school. It's we're lucky to check out that replay system and take a look and say, all right, you know, we gave them the same look in the box, same look up front. How did these other wrinkles, these other things we threw at them, how did that affect them? And, and it's how you diagnose what their defensive game plan is, what they're going to do, how they're going to line up to you. And I think you can find an advantage relatively quickly because it's just, like you said, everything does look the same. So you're really putting the onus on them To make a change them to to declare what they're going to try to do to stop you and make life as a play caller a heck of a lot easier when it's not just oh they read our guards they read our keys here you know no they they, we we have to know what they're i mean they have to tell us what they're doing because everything looks the same and and if they don't want to change we're gonna keep running it at them that's fine with us
0: definitely you mentioned to me practice very important to you too in that making your players situationally aware is an important part of it and you think about this game it's always played within context but i think we get guilty i know i have get guilty of it as coaches where we're out there running plays but we're not telling the players like what what's the situation we're running this play in right and I'm, i mean eventually i got much better at, at that as a coach i could think as a young coach though we're out in team and just running plays in team and you know we're not saying what down and distance is uh we're not thinking about you know different types of things where you know, players who can understand how things also fit in context, I think, have that football IQ and are going to do some things that you need them to do when you get into those critical situations.
1: Yeah, I mean, amen. Situational football has kind of become what our practices, our in-season practices look like. And, and when I say that, I mean our our, our quarterback, um, when it's third and three, and I have 11 personnel on the field with him, he knows I'm going to give him one of two or three things. Uh, when we're in the red zone on the right hash and I and we're, we want to go three by one to the field, he knows I'm going to give him two or three things. We, we've practiced this situation over and over. He knows the way I think, what I want in this situation, what I feel is effective in this situation, and we know what to do. And, and uh, you know, we just work it all the time. I mean, I'm I, like you said, the game's played within context. And uh, – yeah, as a young coach, first years as an offensive coordinator, I'd have a play script and I'd say, this is what team is going to look like. And we'd just run them. And and then we'd get through it and we'd go, okay, well, you know, when are we going to run this? Why? And then why? It brings you back to that. Why? And, and so then, you know, I really started to learn from other guys and get more into how you build situations into your practice and how you teach it. And, and that becomes our, our team sessions now are, you know, this is the scenario. This is where we're at. What are we going to do? And, and you know, we get to the point now where quarterback can read my mind because he knows this is what I want in this situation. This is what I think is effective. Um, and an example of that is, you know, we were in the quarterfinals this, this year, and we actually were down two points. Yeah, we were down two points with 27 seconds to go. Uh, they had just went for two. Or I'm sorry, we were down one point. They had just went for two to win the game, and they got it. And with 27 seconds left, our chances weren't looking real good. So they kicked the ball back to us. You know, we we were fortunate they kicked that thing out of bounds, so we got in a pretty good spot. And our kids, our our quarterback, our kids knew exactly what to do. 27 seconds left to go. We're on our own 35. We we know this situation. (laughs) We've been here in practice. We didn't have people in the stands. (laughs) The pressure wasn't up, but we were here uh, in practice. So... Uh, our quarterback, you know, he, he knew exactly balls on the right hash. This is where we're looking to get to the short side, get out of bounds, pick up a couple first downs, and then we kicked the field goal to win the game. Uh, that's how that thing ended and moved us on to the semis. Um, but but that's that's the example I'll probably use for the rest of my career. We had been in that situation. We had been in it three or four times. It was just in practice. And, and it was explained to them, this is why we're doing it. I mean, to set up the field goal, our quarterback threw a ball over the middle of the field uh, on a crossing route that really was supposed to just hold that safety, but he was open. He threw the ball. Our our uh, receiver caught the pass and immediately before taking another step, got down on the ground so we could get a timeout and kick the ball with one second left. I mean, these are situations we've practiced. He knew exactly what to do. So uh, like I said, that that's probably the perfect example. Uh, and it's an example I'll use for future teams for the rest of my life. Um, but if we hadn't been over that over and over and over, I just don't think we go down and, and, you know, get in field goal range with 27 seconds left and one timeout just wasn't looking good.
0: <laughs> it's important for everybody to have that football IQ for you and definitely something you can train into them. So, Coach, you've mentioned in this podcast the word evolve. You said the word evolve several times here. When talking about yourself as a coach, and I know you believe that's so important to be a successful coach, that it is looking at how you can involve. Talk to us about, I guess, the best advice you can give a coach out there who uh, wants to be able to experience the kind of success you guys had this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the best advice that I can give and will always give is reinvent yourself each year as a football coach. You know, who you are as a coach, you always have to be aware of who you are, what you believe in, what are your core beliefs, um, and and keep those core beliefs because that makes you you. But always, always, always address with yourself how you teach those beliefs, how you convey them to your team. Um, and, and X's and O's wise, you know, is this the best way I teach this game? Is this the best way we practice it? What can we do better? If I had stayed the same coach that I was three years ago, uh, we, we wouldn't have had this success this year. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. Um, because there was a heck of a lot of things that I was doing ineffectively. And I had to sit and and reinvent myself and say, look, this is how I'm going to teach this scheme better. This is how I'm going to develop players better because I think player development really is the key to success, whether it's your youth kids you're bringing in or or it's the players already within your program, how you develop them in the months of January uh, and then through to fall camp, that's what makes you you. That's what makes your program successful. But, you know, sit down and look and, and focus on yourself and what you need to do better. I think it's very easy when we find success as coaches, you know, through winning or getting a new job or something to feel like we've figured it out, we've got that recipe to success down. And that's not the case. I mean, we, we went 14 and 0 and won a state championship this year. And there's a lot of things that I need to do better as a football coach. And I'm in the process right now of sitting down and how do I reinvent myself? How do I get better at things? How do I convey my message better? How do I develop playing? You know, how do I, work better with our strength coach and, and working with the program and how do I help these players reach their potential? Cause there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of better we can do. Um, so that's my advice. I'll always continue to evolve, stick by what you believe, stick by what makes you, you, but always evolve in how you teach that, how you get that message out and, and how you develop your players.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. We, we definitely live in that copy and paste world now where that, it's always easy to look at what somebody did here and think it'll work over there, but this is not a copy and, and paste profession. I couldn't agree more with you. So coach, when you look at all the things you do and, and you've mentioned some great things here on the field, off the field, how you build team, what's the one thing you do as a coach that you feel really gives your team the winning edge? I think,
1: I, you know, it's, and it's kind of, it was unintentional, but this interview is kind of circled around player development. And I think that's, the one thing that's that's my strength as a head coach that gives our players the winning edge, you know, and I kind of mentioned it actually before the, the months of January through July, the way you develop your players then through, through that time is I think what's going to give you that winning edge. You know, we can all show up to fall camp with a great plan and, and an install plan in place and how we're going to teach things. And I can go to university of Alabama and I can sit and watch how they install and take the greatest, you know, practice plan in the world. Um, but but if I didn't develop my players, cause, and that's I think that's important, my players, because everybody's different. My players are different than yours. Yours are different than yours and his and, and hers and whoever. And we have to come up with a unique plan to develop our players to fit the team and to help the team and to be what we want. So, you know, and, and I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but I think player development and, and how I talked about developing and getting to know them as an individual first and identifying strengths and weaknesses as individuals and then taking them going into fall camp and bringing that in as a whole, as a team. Um, I think coaches that focus more on player development and then transitioning into program development in that order um, will be successful. That's my belief. Everybody has a different one, but that's mine. I think coaches that, do it the opposite and I used to be this coach I used to have a vision for my program what I wanted it to be and then I would try to fit the kids to my program vision I was more about program development and then I let player development kind of fill in the gaps later on well, I've learned that's not the case you, you can't do that at least not with today's kids uh, you have to develop them as young men as individuals first and then you put that into your program and and that's what's going to give you the edge. That's what's going to help you win um, and realize your vision at the end of the day. I, I, I just truly believe that.
0: Coach, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you?
1: Follow me on Twitter uh, at Coach Barrow, Barro B A R R O. There's no W there. <laughs> it's uh, Coach Barro on Twitter. I'm, I'm on Twitter. Like you know, my players make fun of me. I'm on Twitter more than they are. <laughs> um, you know, follow me. Shoot me a DM. I love to connect with coaches. I'd love to see what teams are doing. Shoot ideas and. Man, you know, I live on that damn website these days. So <laughs> <laughs> follow me there.
0: Well, coach, I really appreciate you taking the time, and best of luck to you and your team as you evolve into what you're going to be in 2022.
1: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.